visit patreon.com slash sword and laser. Sword and Laser hopes you will enjoy this program. Hey everyone, welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm sad. I mean, I'm Tom Merritt. We'll get to that shortly. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. And we have <laughs> we have a fan in the house tonight. That fan is Tom Merritt. And, and I'm he, drinking bourbon. And he is a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals. It's a it's a sports ball club, and <laughs> it's a uh, it's childhood affliction. I was raised that way. Can't help uh, it. And uh, they lost to their arch enemies, the Chicago Cubs, which has made author Ann Leonard very happy. So there's that. I also noticed that on Twitter, that she was very happy. <laughs> She's like, I should have made a bet with you. I'm like, yes, Ann, you should have. You should have. Ah. She'd be literally tens of dollars richer right now. Yeah. So if you don't understand about sports ball, it's just the thing I love lost to the arch nemines. Arch anemones. Those anemones. I think the Chicago Cubs probably have an unusual amount of anemones on their squad, and that's illegal well, and so should now, be investigated. Now, who are you going to root for for the for the rest of the sports ball postseason? Okay, okay so my wife is a Dodger fan because she was born in L.A. <laughs> Sorry. So let's just keep this between us. I'm going to root for the Mets. Okay. Okay. I'm also, our rooting. <laughs> I'm also rooting for the Mets. Okay, shh. Okay. Ron Richards. Yes. <laughs> uh, Tom, what are you drinking? I know you're. You have to I'm be having bullets. some medicine right now. I am drinking a, a lovely, stiff couple fingers of bullet bourbon. Nice. I'm having a gin and tonic with Hendrix oh, this lovely. evening. It's about a hundred million degrees here in San Francisco this week, so I'm keeping it. I'm playing it cool, staying away from red wine because that just mm. makes me get all hot and bothered and whatnot. I don't eat. Nope. <laughs> no. Nope, not it like what that. you meant to say. Not what she meant. <laughs> Not. Just, just, uh, yeah, the hard to come back from that one, really. Not um, what I meant. It just means that the weather is at the high end of the Fahrenheit scale. That's in, non, in a non-metaphorical in a way. Very non-sexual way. Okay, <laughs> hey, let's do the quick burns. This ain't your other show. All right. Uh, so we have this news came out a little while ago, and uh, we've been between episodes when it happened. But Rob wants everyone to know that Patrick Rothfuss signed some kind of multimedia deal with Lionsgate. He's a mogul. He uh, is. Yeah. So a few days before San Diego Comic Con, the option on his book expired. That meant he could shop it around. He took lots of meetings. And I guess the idea with Lionsgate, according to what he's saying, is they're going to go lots of different directions with it. Uh, not just making one movie. Uh, that's why his, he says his original option was for a TV show. Uh, he wanted space for the story to breathe, but they're going to do movie and TV show, it sounds like. Yeah, he said uh, the meetings that he was taking around the time that the options expired, he says, weren't stressful for this simple reason. I wasn't that interested in turning my books into a movie. I know for a lot of authors, a movie deals like the Holy Grail, it's kind of free money. And if a movie gets made, well, then you get a truckload of cash and a bucket of fame and your books get to hang out on the bestseller list for a while usually a long while 
But honestly, money's never been a huge motivator for me, and my books already sell well, and I'm already more celebritous than I'm entirely comfortable with. But he finally found the right deal, the right confluence of events and, and things that, that made it the right situation for him. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so pretty he, amazing. He was, kind of, he was playing it cool. He's like, I don't care about your money. I want, I want a TV show and a movie, okay? Oh, you can't do that? Well, it's too bad, you know? Then it's not going to happen. He said, and this is a quote from Pat, if you came at me with a pitch, he's talking to Lionsgate in this example, if you came at me with a pitch that involved a television show and a movie, I'd listen to that. I'd listen really hard because something like that would let us be big budget while still giving my story room to breathe. And then Lionsgate got in touch later and said, about that whole TV show and the movie thing you mentioned, if we're going to do some... That's exactly how Lionsgate That's how talks, talk, by the way. That's how they talk, that is. It's true. Uh, they're not that far from here. If we're going to do some sort of big narratively intertwined multi-platform development deal based on your books, wouldn't it make more sense to do a video game along with the TV show and the movies? Because seriously, why wouldn't you want to do a video game too? I'm I'm I okay yes they they definitely sound like that um so this is this is huge because ask anybody call Lionsgate right now just call them up receptionist talks like that I mean Pat's got to be super excited because Pat said what and now he's doing that and now he's so doing we're gonna that get a thing. video game tv shows and a movie all set in the King Killer Chronicles universe yeah super uh, we sweet we all just won we all win. People who haven't read the books are going to win. People who love video games are going to win. It's just a giant, massive squee fest of, of winning and, and awesomeness, basically. Well done, Lionsgate. Mm -hmm. Lionsgate really supports quality programming, don't you think, Veronica? <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Yes. Well, let's move on to Ready Player One, where Steven Spielberg is directing. Okay? Keep that in mind when I tell you this news. <laughs> Steven Spielberg is directing the movie, mm -hmm. Ready Player One, and Louie pointed us to the story where Steven Spielberg said, the movie won't have any of my films in it. I'm not putting myself in this movie. They reference so many 80s movies. I'm doing the whole pop culture thing. I'm going to leave myself out of it. I can't do that. Too self-referential. Okay, so this this covers a lot of movies. So no DeLorean? No DeLorean. Wait, how... How is Ernie Klein letting this happen? Ah! He loves the DeLorean. He loves Back to the Future. No Back I can to the see, Future. I can see reducing it. I can see like, wow, there's a lot of Spielberg references here, Ernie. Gonna cut them down. We'll just stick with E.T. and the DeLorean. How about that? Well, no Goonies. No Indiana Jones. <sighs> it's tough. It's tough. No E.T. No E.T. How is this even going to work? These are basically, okay, basically, Tom, they could do Ready Player One with only Steven Spielberg references and nobody right? would even bat an eye. That's no. how much content he's removing from it that you could have it just be the content and people would be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's basically all the good movies from the 80s. I know, I know people aren't going to say that and I know that's crazy, but I mean, if they just like did that, it would be enough. It would be okay. But removing all of those is noticeable. Spielberg told USA Today he sees the film as a crystal ball. These are his words. A crystal ball into exactly what is going to be happening, not in 30 or 40 years, but in between 5 and 10 years from now, where a virtual world becomes almost like a drug of choice and where we are spending more time in a non-organic space than we are breathing and eating and interacting in real life. And apparently, all Spielberg intellectual property has disappeared. <laughs> That's the real world we're headed for. Anyway, that is, it feels odd to me. But 
Okay. I guess it feels fake, right? It feels false. And I guess I kind of understand where he's coming from. Like I'd be weirded out too if I'm making a movie and it's like, wow, everything I ever did is referenced in this script. Guess what, Steven Spielberg? Uh, That's why we were excited you were directing this movie. That is a big reason because you know this content, you know this stuff. That could have been really special. Eh. It could have been somebody, Steven Spielberg. It could have been somebody. You could have been a contender. Uh, John submitted an article uh, from Mike.com. Science shows something surprising about people who still read fiction. They tend to be more empathetic towards others. It's a 2013 Emory University study looking at the brains of fiction readers. Researchers compared the brains of people after they read to the brains of people who didn't read. The brains of the readers, uh, they were reading Robert Harris's Pompeii over a nine-day period, showed more activity in certain areas than those who didn't read, specifically heightened connectivity in the left temporal cortex, part of the brain associated with understanding language. That part makes sense. But they also found increased connectivity in the central sulcus, the primary sensory region which helps people visualize movement. Like when you visualize yourself scoring a touchdown while playing football, you can actually feel yourself in action. A similar process happens when you visualize yourself as a character in a book. Well, yeah. I mean, that that is what empathy is, is putting yourself into someone else's situation and so imagining not, how I they mean, would feel. I mean, I feel like I'm getting a little Anthony Carboni about this because... Uh, Are you going to start this, screaming about pranks? Yeah. I don't remember any of my childhood. No, um, I feel like this is taking true science finding and turning it into misleading headline, right? What they found was a certain kind of empathy, which you're absolutely right. But the headline makes it sound like, oh, if you're read, you're a better person because you're more empathetic. Doesn't mean you actually sympathize with people. Doesn't mean you feel more kindly towards others. It just means that after you read, you've been in the position of putting yourself in someone else's shoes for a while. And so that part of your brain's active. Well, does that teach your brain to be more receptive to those feelings in the future? That I I don't think the study covered. That's Mm. what I'm saying. I would be interested to know that. Like... Because they're they're actively teaching empathy in schools now. I just gave a whole talk on this at XOXO about how we have to learn empathy. And so if by reading fiction helps your brain flex those empathy muscles more often, then maybe that could be something that follows you through the rest of your day. Yeah, I, and that may be true. That and, and it seems likely, and that seems like a really good thing to test. And I haven't read the actual study, so maybe this article just skips over that. Maybe they didn't find something about that. Uh, but I'm just saying, from what this says, it's that they found that your, your ability to visualize movement as if you were someone else increased, which makes perfect sense. And yeah, all those things you just said could be follow-on results of that. But I don't know that that's what they found. Hashtag bird pranks. with a z sorry with a z uh so go review us on itunes uh don't fill out the review just answer are you empathetic yeah five stars nobody fills out the review we're making uh we have concerns references if you don't listen to anthony carboni and jeff canada's fine comedy podcast you definitely should yeah 
absolutely agree with that 100 uh, percent finally oh no not finally second to finally penultimately robert says helene wecker posted on her facebook page that there will be a sequel to the golem and the genie to be titled the iron season it's a ways off uh, but robert says i think it'll be worth the wait Awesome. That's one I've been wanting to read for a while as well. That is definitely on my to-read list. That uh, is fan. That is on the little sword side, right? Hmm. Isn't um, it? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, it's kind of not really typically fantasy or science fiction, but it's more on the fantasy side, it feels like. Okay. Uh, and also, Stephen over on Goodreads says, one of the authors I suggested for future interviews was Jen Williams. Steven, I'd like to say, that feels a little like pokey pokey, like, hey, I suggested this author for an interview and now she's doing some cool stuff. Don't poke Veronica. She'll poke back. <laughs> he says, uh, well, her books are now going to be available in the USA uh, via Angry Robot Books. The announcement was made this week on Barnes & Noble's website. All right. So very cool. And now we have even more reason to try to get her in for an interview. Angry Robot. Why is he so angry? Why is it? I don't because he's a robot and nobody loves him. Why are we? Do we know that no one loves him? I love him. I've been reading a lot, so I feel empathy for this oh. angry robot. <laughs> I love robots. I read he, she, and it. I feel feelings towards robots. Feels all the feels. I saw her sexual feelings. Whoa. Okay. Sexual. Ex machina. Watch ex machina. Things are getting weird. <laughs> Just saying. Well, now it is time for barrier sword, which is our feedback. From the audience. And our good friend, longtime community member and author A.E. wrote, in the latest podcast, Veronica decreed that baby brains would be an official new sword and laser idiom, while also questioning what the exact definition would be. This thread will solve that urgent quandary. <laughs> I'll posit my definition for baby brains, and the following posters can tax their brains, whatever their age, with their own definitions. May the best brains win. Here is his proposed definition, Veronica. Baby brain, pronounced baby brain noun <laughs> a person accepting of new reading experiences featuring use of grammar word choice formatting and or themes atypical to that genre the same individual would love to try say rainbow milkshakes whereas old brains would be opposed to all of the above for them a cup of earl grey tea and a tolkien tome would do nicely thank you very much i like how because we have baby brains there has to be an old brains to go with it to be kind the opposite sense. end of that spectrum um i liked how tassie dave who by the way i called out in that episode to say put that in the wikia tassie dave said his definition of baby brains is just uh, his 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 <laughs> his response his, his response, response to AE's proposal to my definition as defined by me are, are is just a picture of Chuck Wendig, Robert Jackson Bennett and an old ass picture of me. <laughs> Pre-bangs that's how I know it's old. That. Um so uh, they're the only two people who have responded to this so far. I, you know, I went back to to listen to the Baby Brains episode to see if I gave any more information about what Baby Brains should mean. And no, I basically no. just say, I don't know what this means. You guys figure it out. Figure something out. Well, there you go. You now have two definitions to choose from. Perhaps more will follow. We'll see. I feel good about this. I feel like this could be our next slam, which means it'll get out of control and eventually I'll rally against it. Well, Veronica, <laughs> what? I don't know. Your your sigh of disappointment towards me was oh, very no, telling. Oh, I no, was, I was sighing in transition because our next thread is serious. It's, it is very serious. It's about spoilers. Mm -hmm. And as we all know, 
uh, next to nuclear wars and unkempt uh, and ill-mannered monkeys, spoilers, are the third most dangerous element on this planet. It's true. It's true. Leading cause of death in, uh, in, in some European cities. Spoilers. Yeah. Some authors are so worried about spoilers that they don't even read the end of their own novels while they're writing them. That is true. We have that as a direct quote. True fact. In true a fact. true fact. True facts. A true <laughs> Catherine Valenti facts. You'll hear mm -hmm. more about that in our interview with her next week. Maybe. I can see the future. Hmm. Hmm. Or maybe we just recorded that interview and it won't post till next week. Hashtag, you decide. Hashtag bird pranks. <laughs> Terp Kristen says, I meant to post this a week or so ago after I got spoiled by a thread here, but life has been crazy, so better late than never. We'll go on to say that there is a, a feature of Goodreads. This is this is Veronica talking, not Terp Kristen, uh, in which you can put a an HTML tag around the stuff that you want hidden within the spoiler tag. It's good policy. It's a good policy to have. But, you know, I understand that it gets a little fuzzy sometimes because if you start a thread about a topic, that very thread in itself could be a spoiler. So where does it where does it end, Tom? I mean, well, so Patricia asking that people please remember to use a spoiler tag. Yeah, she's basically saying putting spoilers in the title isn't good enough because a lot of people, myself included, mm -hmm. and Terp Kristen as well, get the posts in an email uh, as a as a digest, and as you're scanning through, the fact that it says spoilers in the title is not going to stop you from seeing the text. That's right. Whereas if you use the spoiler tag, it will actually not show that spoiler text in the digest. And if you want to find what was in the spoiler tag, you have to click through and go to the actual post. So she's just saying, you know what, folks? And, and here's the thing. Dirk Kristen says, it's funny. I don't usually care about spoilers. But for ACFL, I was definitely trying to avoid being spoiled for reasons I can't quite put my finger on. And ACFL is where I was spoiled because of this. So in order to try to help all of us stay spoiler free, I thought I'd remind slash ask people to use the spoiler tag, even if the thread title implies there are spoilers. And I know it's tough. I understand people out there. It's hard to have conversations about books without being spoilery but you know we're all we're all in this together this is a little bit of a psa you know we do our best to not spoil anything about the book until the wrap-up episode and hopefully you guys in the forums can do your best to not spoil readers uh in discussions of the books and also you know we all have to be diligent for ourselves at the end of the day you gotta yeah. look out for number one if you're really worried about not being spoiled just pound on through that book guys just read the shit out of it. Yeah. Get or, through it. Or be Get careful reading those emails. But 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 seriously, it's a team effort, right? It's a team effort. You're you're readers. You have empathy. Scientifically <laughs> proven. You like bird pranks. So just use the spoiler tag, okay? And that's it for our PSA of the week. Thank you, Terp Kristen. Always staying on top of us, keeping a square. I love Yay. it. Yay. In all in all seriousness, Terp Kristen is awesome. So I said square, and I realized after I said square that that sounded like we're squares. But what I meant we was we're just on track, like keeping us on track, keeping us squared. Yeah. Keeping us boring and following the rules because no! we're squares. Uh, I keep saying things that are wrong. It's probably because I'm no, drinking a gin and tonic. Right. Yeah. I'm leaving I'll this gin you. and tonic drinking sound in the episode. On purpose? Yeah, you know, put a time code for that. Yeah. So we don't forget. 
Uh, hey, I'm reading The Trader Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson this month. What about you? I'm also reading that book, Tom. This will be a spoiler-free discussion of The Trader Baru Cormorant, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. If you are listening to the show and don't want to be spoiled, it is not a wrap-up episode. It's too early in the month, so never so fear. So can you believe that ending? No, oh. I'm kidding, kidding. Totally kidding. So first of all, hey, guys out there. I didn't mean to spoil the fact that the book has an ending. It has an ending. <laughs> and I feel like... Just talking about the ending is kind of getting, hmm, how do I say this without spoiling the ending? You haven't finished the book, though. How do you know? I haven't. I'm not even close. I'm like 30% done. Yeah. But the way people, I don't even want to say it. I'm not even going to say it. I just feel, I mm, just, whatever. I just is have to read okay faster. Is it okay to read Andres's, Andres's post? Yes. Is that spoilery? It's not go spoilery, ahead. Go, right? Go to it. Take take me off this thread in my mind. Andre says, I'm only halfway through the book, but from economic manipulation to eugenics to all other kinds of weird social psychological manipulation, I can't stop thinking about this book in terms of 1984, a happy world and other dystopical worlds. The funny thing is that even when it is set on a fantasy world, the themes and means feel much more modern than any of the older books. Is it just because it touches on a few subjects or is this trend reinforced in the rest of the book. And Brendan says, no, The Empire of Masks is much more interesting and subtle than 1984. This is more like fantasy Brave New World. And I kind of agree with Brendan. I feel also that it's a little more fantasy Brave New World. What do you think, Tom? I I think uh, Andres is hitting on a really interesting point, which is the writing and the characters do feel modern, even though they're Mm -hmm. not modern. Uh, whereas the characters in 1984 feel very distant and remote. And I think there is, we could probably get some some uh, language arts uh, made doctoral students. <laughs> is that is that a thing? Sure. Uh, to, to come in and tell us why. But I think there is something in the language and the writing that is modern. And that's not a criticism. It's just that we speak differently than we did 50 years ago. And and so there is something to 1984 that just grammatically and lexically feels 50 years old, even though the concepts are supposedly in the far future of 1984, uh, whereas Seth Dickinson is, is writing now. So his his diction, his language, his word choice is going to feel more modern. I agree with you. Um, I, I, I like that interpretation, Tom. I don't think we need a doctoral student of literature. <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. The doctor of literature. <laughs> the master of the language arts. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then uh, EJ Xavier uh, posted about race, culture, and empire. It's a, it's a long, It's a but very long. It's worthwhile reading, uh, talking about this world that Dickinson has created. Yeah, uh, he he goes on to say, this is all a long-winded way of basically saying that in most fantasy lit, lit there are always white people and the white people are always important. Um, but this is kind of like Dickinson, he says, is doing what I find so refreshing is that he's managed to break out of that paradigm nearly completely. While the historical research and references are rich, well-drawn, and immersive, it seems perfectly clear to me that he has fully created a world that is not derivative of any one real-world culture, but a believable and interesting amalgamation of many. And that's something I've definitely noticed reading so far, is that, you know, Baru feels to be 
warmer in skin tone and comes from a more tropical location but that you know dark and pale are as as ej uh says relatively are actually relative terms um so it's just it, it goes on to explain in, in much better uh ways than i am currently explaining how it's the the race is a lot more ambiguous and doesn't seem to play on on current you know tropes of of modern society well I, I or medieval even, society i don't even think of the characters in this book in terms of our races and and i think that's a good thing i i, I think of the the taranoki and the stachiesi and the wow. and the Arduinese. you're just pronouncing things like that wow I, good for I you just, i listened to the audiobook oh <laughs> cheater cheater i cheat i like a cheat in chicago cup i just do like that a, cheating no you want to talk about cheating don't get me started on <laughs> cheating tom but but <sighs> uh i do think what one of the brilliances of this book is he has created a parallel empire to our own modern empires without making it like an obvious one-to-one -one, right and and it, it's really made me rethink how the French Empire, the British Empire, the the U the U.S. and even in the you know early 20th century, late 19th century, uh, justified their empires because they're not the same, right? Mm -hmm. This whole idea of encrastic theology uh, and and philosophy and we are ruled, we are enlightened people ruled by science, and yet having these very obvious prejudices, not just a, a, against uh, se sexual preference, that's 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 front and center, but all of these other prejudices and these racial prejudices, these are all concepts that were very common in the late 19th, early 20th century, and even before. But we don't think of them, uh, and classically, I think of the British Empire, right? The British mm -hmm. Empire justified itself as, you know, spreading civilization to the rest of the world. And the criticism of the British Empire is that, yes, but you did it at the point of a gun, uh, and it was the white man's burden, and it was, you know, broadly racist. But but this is, so, this is basically saying, what if that mechanism of the British Empire had these things in it that were very, we associate kind of with Nazis. <laughs> yeah. and, and was justified in that same way. And were the things that the British were putting forward at the time as, as being religiously important any less or more uh, questionable than than what the mask empire and and the kind of the promise of no we're we're led by science and democracy except we have these kind of weird things that we think are scientific and, and democratic that really aren't and the and the actual the powers behind the throne and what that mm -hmm. really meant uh, it's it's basically taking from to me it's taking from the United States the British Empire the Roman Empire the Nazis. Uh, and 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 kind of putting it all into one like what if you made like some kind of super empire out of that yeah it did really scream nazi germany to me in in many ways especially they, with the some of the acrostic stuff for sure yeah, yeah. Um, so i'm 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 interested to see how that continues to play out in this novel but they don't they but but they're not as bad as nazis Right. And I think that's brilliant because he's because otherwise you'd just hate them. You'd be like, yes, Baru, you need to turn. But instead he makes them like, oh, no, we don't we don't actually kill people. We don't actually you know, we're, there's no Holocaust. We're trying to help people. Right. There's no we're not prejudiced against any particular race. We just know that not all races have the same advantages. It's this weird, icky, democratic racism 
Mm-hmm. And that, the breeding, the act ra- of like and breeding it for itself, certain traits. Yeah, it, it wraps itself in a in a kind of like you guys. Yeah, you know, do you not like democracy? Do you, you, do you not like bettering better. people? This is just the way you better people, right? It's, it's so. Icky it's just and science, and Tom. Well done. Yeah, it's just science. It's just science. It's just bird pranks. That's right. That's <laughs> bird pranks. <laughs> All right. Well, that actually wraps it up for this episode of Sword and Laser. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Of course, our show is entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Thank you so much for continuing to support the show. We love you patrons and for picking this awesome book that we are currently reading. Um, Yeah, it's been it's been uh, we, we have a monthly silliness going up this episode yeah. as well so keep there's in- only i don't know like 20 people at that level um mm-hmm. and we aren't fine first of all apologies to those people as we tried to figure out like actual entertaining things to do but i think we're <laughs> in our stride i feel like it's been really good oh and by the way in our in our recent monthly silliness i nailed it i nailed oh, last it last month yeah. yeah last month you killed it i crushed it yeah i, I chris nushed it so if you are at the level you get the silliness and you haven't checked it out, you definitely got to check it out. Definitely do um, it. Also, if you're like, look, I'd love to help you guys, but I can't really because I spend all my money on books. Well, then go to swordandlaser.com slash picks and buy your books through those links. Now, you can find links to books we talk about on the show there, which we're trying to make it easy for you to find the books we're mentioning. But at the same time, if you click through any of those links and then buy a different book, we still get credit for it. So it's all cool. Absolutely. All Absolutely. Thank you for your support. If you want to get in touch with us, the email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. And don't forget to send us your Patreon pre-rolls so you can sound awesome like at the beginning of this episode. We'll see you next time. Bye. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.